Before we get started, this episode is brought to you by Oladance, wireless Bluetooth headphones which deliver 19 hours of battery life, superior sound, the ability to still hear your surroundings for safety, and an open ear design which means you don't get that achy feeling from wearing them for extended periods. I used these on my 100 mile wilderness run, and if you're curious, head over to oladance.com forward slash ST and use code ST at checkout for $30 off their OWS2 headphones. Also, thanks to Pillar Performance. Pillar, spelled P-I-L-L-A-R, is a sports micronutrition company that I was introduced to after having Sam Parsons from Tin Man Elite on the show a while back. I use their pineapple coconut flavored triple magnesium product, which delivers high potency magnesium glycinate for better sleep and added recovery during my training blocks. If you'd like to try Pillar today and you're an American-based listener, head over to thefeed.com forward slash pillar and use code SINGLETRACK in all caps for 15% off your order. For international listeners, use the same code for the same discount, but a different link. Use pillarperformance.shop. Finally, thanks to Kodiak Cakes, makers of my favorite pancakes. They've been at the center of so many memorable post-long run breakfasts. They don't just taste great. It's 100% whole grain. There's 14 grams of protein per serving that helps with recovery. Go over to their website. Get yourself a few boxes of the mix. In the process, use code SINGLETRACK15 at checkout for 15% off your next order. With that, let's get to the show. Caitlin Fielder, it's a pleasure to have you on the Single Track Podcast. Yeah, I'm excited to be here. Thanks for inviting me. Well, it's a pleasure to have you here. And I do want to talk a bit about your background before we get into discussion about OCC. From what I gather, you're based in Andorra nowadays by way of New Zealand. And I'm curious, and perhaps our American audience might be too, if they're not as familiar with that area of Europe, um, what makes Andorra a great place to train and what role has it played in leveling up your uh, your career as a trail runner? Yeah, so Andorra is a pretty, um, well, it's, a, it's an incredibly small country. It's in between uh, Spain and France in the Pyrenees there. And it's about, I'd say about 30, 35 kilometers from the bottom to the top of the country. So it's it's incredibly small. But at the same time, the countryside that you get there is is absolutely amazing but it's like it's a real juxtaposition of a country because a lot of the stuff there is like duty free and so a lot of people come for the amazing outdoors and then other people come to get cheap cigarettes and uh and alcohol so it's um it's it's quite an interesting place but where we live we live at 2000 meters so my partner who's a cyclist and I live there and uh yeah, I mean, I step straight out and I'm straight into the mountains, really. So it's you basically won't get a, an easy run below 500 meters of elevation. So that's always been my weak point in, in terms of trail running, like climbing. And, uh, and it's the perfect place to work on that. You mentioned that your partner, George, is a pro cyclist, which is cool. And I want to ask you more about that in a moment. But um, did you move there specifically for your own training or was, was this, uh, prompted by George's career and it, it just sort of worked out as it, as it can for trail running? Yeah. So, I mean, I moved over to Europe about seven or eight years ago to, um, to kind of be with George and I only started running really properly, I'd say in 2021. Um, so it was definitely all based off of George's kind of career and getting altitude training while we could, and he's a climber as well. So 
indoor works out really well for him but um no it was definitely more based off of George's career and then as time has passed with me living in Europe I've kind of um progressed a lot in terms of my running as well and so now it helps me out too well I'm always and you mentioned George earlier and I'm always fascinated by relationships where both people are serious endurance athletes you're obviously in one of those scenarios and George is an accomplished professional cyclist. Um, obviously, you're competing in different sports, but I'm curious, has he had any influence on your rise as a professional trail runner? So like, you could talk about any interesting learnings or wisdom from his experiences that you've tried to, uh, tried to apply to your own career. Yeah, I mean, for sure. He's definitely had uh, a massive influence on on myself as like I'd say an endurance athlete um I'm it's probably good that he's not coaching me because cycling and running are very different sports and so if it was up to him I'd be running like 200k weeks and probably just really (laughs) emptying myself into it but um he he likes comparing cycling and trail running is um you know it's just so so different the sports and the approach to each of them um both in terms of like the science involved in cycling at that level is is just you know right out there in terms of um how they approach it and how the teams they're really pushing for that one percent type thing um and it's a lot to do with the money involved in both sports as well and so George's influence on how I kind of approach my training and and the little things that I can do to help improve um, my running uh a massive like nutrition and all of this as well so I kind of get get um advice from him and how to approach that and I can definitely tell that that helps me a lot with my progression and running one more question before we focus on OCC in prepping for this uh chat here I saw you had a bike accident in 2019 that led to a fairly major hip surgery and there was about a year of recovery involved and I guess to some extent, fortunately, it all took place at the beginning of COVID. So you had a pretty good window there to to sit back and really take that seriously. Um, but I find it fascinating because, you know, when it happened, you were in the midst of your rise in the sport um, and it kind of brought you back to square one. Uh, you've obviously proven in the last two years that the upward trajectory in your career would only continue. But I'm curious, was this something that you were able to fully recover from or is it the type of injury that no matter who you are, it sort of takes something out of you and forces you even in post-recovery to compete at like a notch or two below your former self's potential? Yeah, it's a, it's an interesting question, I think, because um, I mean, I don't really think I'm at the top of my game and I don't necessarily think I had like uh, something... I wasn't at the top of my game before the accident either. So um, it's it's quite hard to know, you know, how far I could have gone had I not had the accident. But I the accident um, definitely aggravated an issue that I already had with my hips. So basically a lot of people have impingements in their hips and that's what I had. And so when I crashed, it was like the, the bone um, position changed and it really started causing havoc with my hips um I I still have issues with it now and so it's definitely not something that's completely solved but it's a whole lot better post the surgery and everything which has helped um 
but I mean, for sure, probably I'll have arthritis or something further down the track. Maybe I'd have it anyway. But yeah, I, it's it's a difficult question to try to guess where I would have been had I not had that. But um, it definitely made me more motivated to come back and see how good I could be, I guess. Very cool. Has there been anything you've had to modify in the way you approach training in the long term or racing in the long term? Or do you feel like, you know, once you got through sort of that year's worth of recovery and rehab and stuff like that, that you could sort of bounce back to how you were thinking about being a pro athlete, you know, in 2018, 2019, stuff like that? Uh, to be honest, in 2018, 19, uh, I never thought I would be a pro athlete. Like, it's really just been in the last few years, I think, where it's become kind of possible, but it was never actually like, of course, you're like maybe one day, but it was never really <laughs> on the horizon for me. So it's kind of quite crazy yeah. that I tend to like stumble into it, I guess. But um, yeah, I think in terms of a different approach to my training, I definitely have a lot of emph- emphasis on like strength and conditioning and this type of thing. Um, and so I do that three or four times a week. And I can tell a lot that that uh, helps with my um, kind of hips and that's like the one major issue that I have and and it's made it not so major which is really good and it's also made me stronger in terms of um, being able to race more and kind of have a healthier body with all of that as well. Moving more towards OCC, um, based on your results over the past years, it looks like your sweet spot as some might call it, or where it looks like you're the most comfortable is in that 40 to 50 K distance range on trails. And so, you know, you podiumed at Sagama earlier this year, for example, and you were sixth at OCC in 2019. I think you ran about 23 minutes faster and got on the podium in 21. Is it a fair characterization to say that you specialize around that marathon distance? Like how do you, how do you think about your strengths and weaknesses and, and where you're interested in competing as a pro in the sport? Yeah, I mean, I think for sure that's definitely the distances that I've more focused on as of late. Um, And that's because a lot of my training and distances have been targeting that kind of like sweet spot, like you say, marathon um, to 50 to 60K mark. Um, It doesn't mean that if I kind of uh, changed objectives, I would also change my training. So maybe uh, that means going further in the future. But I think... um, I'm not really tending towards thinking about running longer at the moment. It does involve quite a bit more, and I know it's almost like a fashion to go longer. Uh, I tried <laughs> CCC last year, and, um, yeah, my training was just – it's just more geared towards kind of the, the marathon, and I was doing Golden Trail Series last year as well, and, and I was like, it'll work, you know, but it's a different ball game, the 100K race, so that's why I kind of stepped it back down this year and was more realistic with um what I could do in terms of racing and what would actually work out and uh yeah that's why I kind of stepped it back down to OCC again this year thanks to Brooks for their support of our UTMB coverage I used their Cascadia HU way back in 2014 when I was introduced to trails via my through hike of the Appalachian Trail so this is pretty cool. I've been wearing lately their new high point collection in the field, particularly their waterproof rain jacket and pants, as well as the new and improved Cascadia 17 shoe. The style and the performance across the board are all on point. I even wear that waterproof rain jacket sometimes during these interviews. Check it all out over at brooksrunning.com forward slash single track. Also, thanks to Morton 
80% of my run of the 100-mile wilderness earlier this month was supplied by Morton. I used 25 of their hydrogels, 10 of their 225C bars. They all went down easy. There was no palate fatigue, and they made me feel good because it's all natural ingredients. These are the same products used by top athletes like Tom Evans and Killian Jornet. So head over to Morton.com to take a look at what they got and try some for yourself. And finally, thank you to Features, makers of my favorite trail running socks. They're durable, they're comfortable, they're stylish, and they're trusted by, again, many of the best athletes in our sport. If you'd like to give them a try, head over to their website, grab a few pairs, and use code SINGLETRACK20 at checkout for 20% off your next order. With that, let's get back to the show. I think it's super cool, though, and um, it reminds me, do you, do you see yourself and from a career standpoint, do you see yourself following like a Ruth Croft type playbook where for as long as possible, you know, you really uh, emphasize and focus on sort of that trail marathon, 50K distance, the Golden Trail series. And then maybe when the time is right, you make that leap to more like full time 100K, 100 mile stuff. Or do you feel like you're always going to want to just exist in that sort of sub ultra borderline ultra space? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, it's quite a hard thing to um, to guess I, like into the future, I think, which I'll be, what I will be most satisfied with. Um, but I feel like for me, the satisfaction comes from really feeling like you've just nailed a race. And uh, that's when I feel like with the Gama at the finish of it, I felt like I was quite confident going into it. And then it was super satisfying also seeing that in terms of results. And for me, I feel like that's why I came back down to OCC as well. Um, and whether I will be truly satisfied with um, certain results or races, that's kind of hard to say. But I think you need to really look at yourself when you're racing longer and see whether the motivation is coming from within yourself or whether it's more um, kind of based off of pressure to go further and farther. And that's where people kind of tend to say ultras are. But for me, I mean... I think OCC is an ultra and I, and I think that um, every single race is a different ball game. So Ruth is, I mean, Ruth is just, she's, she, I really respect how she races and how she yeah. targets specific stuff, but whether I will be, I mean, I heard from Ruth after Western States and uh, I, I wouldn't say I was motivated to, to, to step <laughs> on that start line after hearing the pain, but um yeah, I mean, it's satisfying for sure. And maybe I'll take it on later. Right on. Well, one more question about OCC. Um, you've obviously had a lot of experience at this race. You're a veteran of the race at this point. You've had a lot of success there. There's just been this upward progression each time you've stepped on the start line. Um, and I'm fascinated because it seems like year over year, there's a step function of growth and competition in each of these UTMB World Series races. Is that something that you've noticed on the ground as an athlete competing? Like, have you had to give more of yourself each year and really reevaluate what it takes to be successful? Like, talk about, yeah, what you've noticed having to level up your game as a multi-time finisher there. Oh, for sure. Um, I mean, you can see it at UTMB races, but I think it's honestly in like every single race that we do now, it's like, uh, and I mean, I, I haven't been, you know, around that long. I'm a veteran in terms of age, but in terms of the sport, I still feel like an amateur sometimes. So, um, yeah, like, I mean, I think of the Golden Trail races now and, and they're, they're massively stepping it up in terms of competition um, and UTMB as well. So I think this year is incredibly competitive in terms of OCC for the women and Sometimes I think the women's field is almost more close and more competitive than the men's. Um, 
which is amazing in the sport. And I think that just shows that women are more comfortable with stepping up as well and, and really putting themselves on the line, which is really cool. And we saw it at Worlds as well. Like Worlds was one of the most intensely competitive races that I've done. I've never been so surrounded by um, women so close in abilities and in terms of the competition. Yeah. So, yeah, it's, it's really cool to see, but it's also like – you need to uh, you need to be able to pull off your A game, or else you're um, you're behind the ball, you know. So it's it's quite intense as well. A lot of our guests on this show are from the ultra scene, so you you just see a less frequent racing schedule. They might prioritize two or three races a year. One of the things that I love about your scene is you know you can by the time August rolls around, you could have been on eight to ten start lines and still feeling great or even peaking for OCC. Um, you know, I know you've done Zagama earlier this year, a lot of other stuff on the world series circuit. Uh, you were at worlds in Innsbruck. How are you feeling heading into OCC, especially compared to just the other years you've towed the line here? Do you feel like, um, sort of things are coming together and you're hitting your fitness at the right time? Are you tired? Like just talk about that too. Yeah. I, I mean, it's quite hard to try to remember how you felt, I guess, in, in previous years coming into races like this. But uh, yeah, at the start of the year, well, kind of leading up to this point, I have raced quite a lot. Um, and that was probably too much for me. Like I thought I would be able to kind of target races. But the problem is having races only two or three weeks apart, and especially marathons, um, you still need you know, a bit of time to recover and then you don't really have as much time to train because you're kind of ready for the next race. So I noticed that quite a lot a few months ago that my actual fitness um, was on a bit of a decline, which isn't always um, where you want it to be, I guess. And so I've spent the last few months just really building back up my fitness and we did a Solomon training camp running um, the Mont UTMB track, Mont Blanc track, and uh and that was really good just to have a really good um, build with that week too and really good people around. So I feel like my fitness is is definitely where I want it to be and I've had some good sessions and um, where that puts me in terms of the women's field, I guess we'll see in, in a week and a half or so. But, uh, yeah, I feel, I feel confident, so we'll see. Okay. Last thing I have to ask about this, we can even link to it in the show notes if you want, but I understand that you have a side gig. It could even have evolved into a main gig at this point, painting shoes for runners and cyclists. Talk about this more, like what exactly is the service? Talk about the inquiries you're receiving, what the process looks like. I find this, as someone who's a gear nerd, I find this fascinating. Yeah, this is this is super random. So this was actually, um, this is my, yeah, it's my job as well, um, as well as running. So when I first moved over to Europe, I I was working in science, so I worked in, in aquaculture, like marine biology, and uh, the transfer of those skills to a job over here isn't as easy as you would think. <laughs> um, no, it's, it's, it wasn't easy at all, and so I decided to come up with my own business, um, and I started painting, well, I painted a pair of shoes for my partner, George, to wear at the Tour de France. And he uh, he wore them. This is like six years ago, and okay. and I just got random inquiries from people asking if I could paint their shoes as well. And then, yeah, the business kind of took off. And because I know a lot of the other people in the pro 
pro peloton um i can kind of paint shoes and slap them on them as well and they'll be riding the tour de france with my artwork on it which is you know a, amazing marketing and and um yeah so people will write to me and ask uh, about a design and i'll do a photoshop mock-up for them to show them basically exactly wow. what it will look like and then they'll buy the shoes usually from a site and get them sent directly to me then i paint the shoes and i and i send them back to them so it's a uh, it's, I've got around a four-month wait on, on shoes at the moment, um, but it's it's pretty cool because I can take the shoes with me. I was painting some at Worlds and um, paint, I usually paint before races, and so it's a bit of a distraction yeah. and also kind of, I mean, running is, is not like the be-all, end-all for me. It's it's amazing to see where I can go, but um, I think it's it's quite good to have something else on the sidelines as well. Super cool. How many can you do at one time? Like at, at what point do you say, you know, I, I have too much here. I need to focus on, you know, the painting piece. Like, uh, yeah. What's your capacity with this? Yeah. I mean, it's, it's just me. It's just me painting them. Um, so, uh, it depends on how intense the design is and, and how much you can kind of put through as my running has become more competitive. Um, the working has taken a bit of a backseat. Uh, in terms of the artwork and the painting, um, which I'm fine with. Uh, but a lot of people are also, you know, they're fine with the with the weight as well, which comes with um, more demand. And um, usually a pair of shoes, if it's super detailed, will take maybe a week. Um, and that's like hand painting. Uh, but it's all, it's all, like it all lasts on the shoes, you know, it's special leather paint. You prepare the shoes properly so that the paint stays on. So I've had my shoes painted for six years and they're still, you know, lasting really well. Super cool. Well, yeah, we'll make sure to link to it in the show notes along with the rest of your social media. Caitlin, it's been a pleasure to get to know you. We wish you the best of luck at OCC. Is there anything you want to leave the audience with? Any final thoughts? Anything we didn't cover that uh, we should before we go? No, I um, I think it's it's really cool to talk to you and, and uh, yeah, talk through how competitive and how great the race will be and, and it's just really cool to have everybody's support, um, especially with the rising women's field and everything like this. I think it's it's really cool to have have people backing you on the sidelines and backing the sport in general. So I appreciate it. <laughs>